Welcome back to The Walter Show. And this week, I am bringing you somebody very, very special. It's one of the world's most famous hackers. And at the age of 15, he hacked some of America's largest corporations and uh, caused damage for over $1.7 billion. Eventually, he got caught. He was chased by the FBI. He's, he was brought to justice and then switched sides and has since then been helping big companies to become much more secure. So I'm talking to him about computer security, what you can do as an individual to be more safe online, what can actually happen if terrorists start using these tools, and also how there is a real risk that you can be blackmailed by somebody who's hacked your pacemaker. I mean, this is scary, scary stuff, but also some very useful tools for you to use. So you can't miss this episode. I'm saying again, you cannot miss this episode. So listen into this and I bring you Michael Mafia Boy Calcio. Well, I'm a little bit starstruck because you're one of the most famous hackers on the planet. Thank you. Reformed hackers on the planet, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess still hacking, but under the white hat now, right? Yeah. I work in the security space offering my services and educating individuals, companies. So definitely one of the good guys now. Right. And just a quick look back in history. How did you become so famous? It started really early for me. I got my first computer when I was six. Um, transitioned online to the internet at the age of nine. I was quickly exposed to hacking communities. I eventually joined the ranks and, and garnered a lot of attention with my hacking style and took out a lot of other well-known hackers, sort of getting a lot of noteworthy attention there. Eventually working my way to one of the most elite Russian hacker groups on the planet, known as TNT Force by the age of 12 years old, where I um, started to work on a few programs and applications that would enable me to launch some large-scale denial-of-service attacks, the first the world had ever seen, actually. Essentially running some tests against some major websites and corporations known as Yahoo, eBay, CNN, Dell, and Amazon. In the year 2000, when I was 15 years old, they all got shut down and the stock market collapsed in the United States, causing an estimated $2 billion damage. Right. And you were how old at the time? 15 years old. Yeah. And that, I guess that would make any, anyone famous, right? Uh, <laughs> and then they eventually caught up to you. Yeah. So four months and a half after the attack took place, they, uh, they finally caught up with me, placed an arrest. I was uh, in one of the longest trials in Canadian history over a year and eight months. I ended up pleading guilty to 55 accusations and I received a sentence of eight months in a group home facility and a $250 fine. After, after causing $1.7 billion worth of damage. Canadian laws protected the juveniles very well <laughs> and uh, they literally had to write laws based on the attacks that I did. Right. And what would you say today would a 15 year old be able to do something that, that like that realistically today definitely and more because we live in a more interconnected world than when i launched those attacks i mean 
we're approaching 25 billion IoT devices by the end of the year. And just that number alone is pretty scary. So I can only imagine what a f you know, motivated 15-year-old kid with high level of intellect can accomplish these days. There's just so much to hack. Right. And uh, from what I can tell, uh, the, the, the sense of urgency around security among individuals at least is not that high. Among companies, probably different. But would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that there's a big um, there's a big lapse in judgment when it comes to security. I feel like people don't believe that they're a target when in reality they are a target. But it, it's almost like people are in a reactive state versus proactive. So they'll react when they do get breached or, or a hack does occur, but they're not proactively securing themselves, which is a problem. Yeah, and we, we see two trends that are kind of opposite but uh, w working at the same time. And one being that we have the institutionalization of hacking, right? So we have the organized crime and even nation states doing that. But we also have the commoditization, commoditization, I'm, I'm not going to get that <laughs> word right. We also see uh, security devices as commodities that you can buy on the inter internet for $50. Yeah, I mean, the market has exploded. People have realized... It's a huge marketplace. You know, just last year, cybercrime was responsible for over $6 trillion, which is a staggering number. And everybody's hopping on the gravy train, so to speak, because it's so profitable. And never uh, in this planet's history could you rob a bank from your basement in your underwear before. Right. And so well, what would you say... Uh is the bigger threat for uh, corporations primarily? Is it the criminal with little to no, no knowledge about uh, computers, but they can buy the device online for $50? Or is it the organized crime and uh, the mafia and that kind of thing? I think it's right now there's a crossbreed of both where these criminal enterprises are teaming up with hackers and creating this whole new version of a criminal organization where the people running it don't necessarily know anything, but they're backing the hackers and giving them exactly whatever they need, whatever might be a you know an associated cost. So you have this whole new form of an organization, and they're extremely potent, and they're they're organized, and they're here for profit. Right, it's and a big problem right now. Yeah, and I imagine them hitting the big targets, but we also have the I guess the equivalent of the home burglar. Uh, buying the device online, maybe uh, extorting a fairly wealthy individual. I think the little guys are even more of a target, to be honest with you. Hackers like, there's an expression like low-hanging fruit. And generally speaking, people don't invest in security or they're not aware of it or don't care. One of the three, which makes them a prime target. Hackers have become so efficient, they're about ROI. And if it takes too long to hack a target, they'll just move on to the next target. They're always looking for the low-hanging fruit. And even auto automating that, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say, because now we've scared a lot of people here, and uh, just as an example, you told me earlier about uh, the Land Turtle, I think it was called, right? Yep. Uh, what, is, what is that device? So Land Turtle is a USB key that has interchangeable modules that you could use. One that I tend to use a lot is a module that allows you to capture the login credentials in on pretty much any system in under 10 seconds. Now, of course, there's a wide array of modules you could use. For example, 
there's modules to to put a reverse shell so you could gain remote access to the device it's literally incredible there's just unlimited options yeah and that's a device you can just buy online anyone can buy online anyone could google land turtle costs about 50 us dollars you'll get it in a week yeah and then we have all these people using the same password everywhere too right so that's low-hanging fruit yeah that's that's another problem in itself people yeah. just uh using one global password yeah um and just that's the land turtle was one example you also told me about the usb ninja device just quickly what is that so the usb ninja is a newer device um that focuses on the trend of lightning charge cables and how people are plugging their devices into their into their uh, their phones into their devices so the usb ninja is essentially um a wire, a lightning charge cable that has a malicious wire inside of it that will initiate an attack the second that it's plugged into a device. And there's literally no way to distinguish that from an original lightning charge cable. Right. And as I've stated, it even charges your phone. So, yeah. So given that, now that I'm just trying to get all these things out there so people can feel like, okay, I should probably be a little bit nervous now. Mm -hmm. What are the top three advice you would give to just an ordinary person person to protect themselves look the number one thing and i can't stress enough is awareness people spend hours and hours per day scrolling through facebook news feeds and and instagram and snapchat i would encourage you to at least take an hour or so and just read up on security because knowing will put you that much further ahead the people that don't know are essentially sheep because they're not they're oblivious to what the reality is so i think Knowledge is power and education is key in this space. You need to know that the threat exists and that you are a target. Once you nail that down, I think there's a lot of um, conscious decisions you can make about how you better secure your life. Meaning, do you have a two-way firewall at home? Are you using that type of software? Are you being careful about what attachments you open? Things of that nature are very critical. Like social engineering attacks have been going on since the beginning of time. And the internet has just enabled people even more and more to initiate these attacks. And people are not conscious of that. So make sure you have a two-way firewall. Make sure you're conscious of what you're doing. And if you don't, there is software you could purchase as well that will automatically put all emails that have an attachment or a link inside of it. Every time you click it, it will open it in a sandbox environment in its own little t um, micro virtual machine so that you don't need to worry that every time you open an attachment or a link, it doesn't actually open and touch the operating system. Third, probably one of the most obvious ones is passwords. We spoke about it earlier where people are using one password for everything. That's a problem. You need to diversify. I have over... 120 passwords and each one is unique because if you become associated with let's say a large breach and your password gets cracked all of a sudden you have the same password for everything that's a big problem not only should you have a unique password for all your logins but you should also change your passwords every six months right and there are ways that be, uh, this sounds super difficult for everybody i know but there are all services for that first of all there's a service to check if you're you're in uh, in one of these breaches, right? Mm -hmm. Like, have I been pawned? Or exactly. That yeah, it's a great website to just check it out, see if you were associated with a breach. Yeah. 
Um, there is password management software as well. I like it the old-fashioned way. I understand, you know, it really depends on your memory capacity, but I would advise that you try. The, that's part of the problem is that we were so reliant on technology. We no longer push the human brain. We just use technology to do everything for us when really it should just augment our ability to do it. I think that that's, you know, a whole issue yeah. in itself. Yeah, one thing that I can be nervous about sometimes myself because I'm very aware of the password issue and I use a, a password manager. And if you use a manager like that, like LastPass or 1Password or something like that, how is the security in those places? Because then you solve the one problem that you can have now a, a long, um, complex, uh, and different unique language uh, and password, and you can change it very often. It will be simple. But then you have all your passwords stored in one location. How secure is that? So, I mean, it comes back to the eggs all in one basket type of concept, which, I mean, you have to do the research of who you're going to be investing the money with and how they manage those passwords. What type of encryption are they using? What type of security protocols do they have in place? So it's really up to you to really research and figure out what the best solution is for you. It's not to say that the solutions are bad, just a lot of people see a money opportunity, so they'll release like a very quick version of, you know, I could program it myself to do that in five minutes, but it doesn't mean that I incorporated all the security procedures that are necessary, right? So. It's really, you have to educate and inform yourself. Just yeah. like when you're purchasing a product. People, you know, they research which TV has the best picture, etc. They should be doing the same in terms of security. Yeah. yeah. And I, you have now the built-in password managers in Apple, for example, as well. And you don't really know how secure they are. It's hard to know. Um, but... Um, so, okay, so those are, are some top advice. And also, I, I would imagine two-factor authentication is a good idea. Anything you can do that will add an additional layer of security is critical. It's not to say that 2FA or MFA can't be hacked, but like I said, it's more about being the low-hanging fruit, and as long as you're not that, then you're much better off. So as many layers of security that you can incorporate, definitely um, you know, 2FA and MFA are good solutions for that. Right. So, okay, so now we have three pieces of advice that would uh, work. I know that when I studied uh, cybersecurity in 2002, uh, when I got my master's degree uh, way back when, and I learned a lot of things, how valuable is that knowledge today, would you, would you say? It's still extremely valuable. I think that the core fundamentals are still the same. I mean, we're still using dinosaur protocols, if you will. So as long as you have an understanding now, Obviously, there's been a lot of adaptations and a lot of people were programming in C in 2002, whereas now they use Python. And there's obviously been some, some evolution in that. But if you look at the core elements of what the Internet is, how packets are sent and received, and just overall programming and how, I mean, like buffer overflow still exists. So there would be something for you to brush up on, but definitely having that core... Knowledge is, is essential still. Yeah. Definitely. So, okay, so, w so just what should I be most careful with? We talked about some advice, how you can stay safe with paths, pathwords, passwords and, and those kinds of things. But how important is it to like, stay close to your hardware? Don't let people come near your computer with a, a device? Or, you know, wh where are we? Or is it just, I mean, a lot of people rely on security through obscurity that you're just 
one of the trees in the forest and they'll probably not find me. But that arguably could be more valuable when you're talking about a home invasion than when you're talking about this because now you can automate this and just send out, look for vulnerabilities in millions of computers. I mean, there's a couple factors here. Like one is how sensitive is your work and the information you're dealing with, which would obviously make you a bigger target. And secondly, how much do you value your personal information, right? Everyone has a different... For me, I view it as if I get robbed at home, and I've, I've, I've been robbed once before when I had an apartment when I was like 21, and I, I didn't care about the belongings that were taken. It was more the sense that someone had been there and violated my personal space. That to me was more of a detriment than the actual valuables taken, right? So I, I can't determine that for people. Me personally, I don't like people meddling in my stuff. I like to be safe and secure. And obviously, as you're dealing with more and more sensitive information, depending on your work, that becomes more and more uh, important as well. Yeah, and back in the day, in the early days of hacking, it was, I would argue, more of a sport or a, a juvenile scene. And now it's becoming more and more professional. And at the time, there was a huge value in just beating the other hacker and being the better hacker. And, and then I would imagine even more so being hacked is a huge like loss in status. Uh, but is, would you say that today it's much more of a professionalized thing people want to get money out of it or or how, how is oh, that oh definitely that uh, mentality of who's the best hacker and and just did it for pushing the status quo and for fun is pretty much gone i would say you know it's a very small percentage it all revolves around money your information is worth something to someone they'll sell it on the dark net get their money and move on but your information is all of a sudden stolen uh, you'd be amazed what you could do with people's information. I could go buy a car in your name. I can uh, do a magnitude of things. And But you you wouldn't think, back in the day, you were a prime target. Everybody wanted to beat you because you were the guy. Yep. And would you feel the same way today? Do you think people are out to see if they can hack you or not? I don't think so. I think that to a certain degree, I earned a lot of respect because everyone knows um, the FBI offered me deals to give up my fellow hackers and just give information on the community to lighten or alleviate all of the sentence. And I, I didn't do that. I wasn't interested. I, I acknowledged what I did and I wanted to take responsibility and I wasn't going to take anyone else down with me. So I think I gained some level of credibility there, but I'm sure I'm a target. I'm sure I'm still being attempted but hasn't happened yet and i'm gonna continue to be vigilant in that space yeah i, I would imagine so <laughs> probably not the most low-hanging fruit out there no definitely not <laughs> so we have all these uh, devices in our homes right we have all these uh, um, uh, the internet of things going on and every little fridge connected to the internet and a vulnerability yeah but also now devices are kind of moving into your body and I know you spoke before about pacemakers and it made me nervous. I don't have one, but I have friends that have pacemakers. Can you tell me that story? Yeah, so I, first of all, I am the chairman of the Security Advisory Board for Hewitt Packard. And it's an incredible role where I get to talk about a lot of the threat landscape and not just what HP is focusing on, but overall, whether it be medical space, etc. And uh, the medical space is very concerning because we're talking about devices that are being, you know, 
molded into our bodies and can be breached. And uh, a prime example of that is a pacemaker that could be infected with ransomware where you have to pay a fee in Bitcoin or your heart stops ticking. Now, this is very alarming and concerning. And actually, my other uh, member of my board that I brought on, her name is Justine Bone, found a critical vulnerability in over a million pacemakers. Now, the list goes on and on uh, in the medical cars space. And, you know, I mean, in, um, in any space, any really. Space, yeah. yeah, for sure. Cars are becoming self-driving, etc. There's a big concern there. We saw a Jeep get breached where... I can control the vehicle and make it drive into a ditch. I mean, this is very preliminary stuff, but just imagine in the future when things become fully autonomous, right? Like, so a, a good example as well as that, so doctors are typically the only ones that can approve and administer medicine, but a doctor has very limited time. There's a lot of patients to see, et cetera. So in North America, they've created a device that would allow a doctor to remotely administer drugs to a patient remotely that device has been hacked and basically hackers were able to quote unquote administer drugs and make a person overdose this device wasn't breached and killed anyone but p hackers had tested it and that's what they were able to do in theory yeah but this is where the world is headed it's very much james bond or mission impossible when i watched mission impossible as a kid that was kind of the stuff that people were doing yeah, I know. It seems so far-fetched and Hollywood movie-like, but this is reality. This is the world that we live in. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I can understand people are in it for the money, but then you also have the entire situation with terrorism, of course. Yeah. And uh, and that in, in conjunction with uh, medical devices and cars. And uh, when, you know, when will we see a self-driving car running down people in the street? We're not too far from there, honestly. I mean... That's the scary part is that you have to look at technology and realize that we've advanced more in the past 50 years than the previous 2000. That's a scary concept. So, you know, modifying these cars to be fully autonomous, they're there. They already do it. They're just kind of limiting it and kind of trying to control how it's being evolved. But not going to take long for a hacker to, to breach those devices and make them run over people. I mean, we're seeing hackers already focusing on critical infrastructure, so it's only a matter of time before they breach, uh, you know, more consumer-based products that can affect and basically run over pedestrians or do damage to, uh, to individuals. Right, and, and of course, also the military is becoming more and more autonomous with drones, and, and you know, that's also a concern, but I guess the, the security concerns or maybe the level of security is higher there or what do you think the problem is is that anything can be hacked or reverse engineered right so it only gets worrisome because like as much as they th think and rely on encryption we're reaching the quantum computing phase soon where you know we have yet to see exactly what the ramifications will be but in theory based on d-wave and kind of what they've done in the quantum space encryption is going to cease to exist right. or as we know it, right? And it's going to need to be remodeled and redeveloped and rebuilt under quantum's uh, parameters. It's a big, never-ending mess. That's the problem. And I almost believe that, and I'm a big contributor to technology and I love what it does for us, but we probably need to slow down. Yeah, but can we? I mean, I want to. 
I think if I can, out of all people that was exposed to technology at a really young age, if I can do it, I think anyone can. Yeah. So I think it's a matter of can we? Yes. Will we? Probably not. Right. So, okay, so before we round this off, we should probably get some kind of bright points in here because now everybody's scared and gloomy. <laughs> yes, I know. It's such a... I don't like my position and <laughs> how I always have to talk about the negative aspects and the negative connotations associated with hacking, but there is a bright side to what technology offers this world, and it's extremely bright. It's just we need to moderate our process and kind of... I, I'm not saying just stop it. I'm just saying... Slow down a bit. Yeah. Take our time. Yeah. There's no rush. I don't know why everybody's in such a panic when if you look at 2,000 years ago, they were just inventing the wheel or whatever it was. And now, you know, my fridge absolutely needs to have a button so I could see inside of it. So there's a lot of positive elements to what technology offers. And even in the security space, there's a lot of positive elements. Um we're looking to use the same things that we talk about as a threat, as a positive as well. Creating technology that utilizes artificial intelligence to better protect ourselves. Rather than relying on signature-based technology, we rely on an artificial intelligence that will ana analyze behavior. And that's a much better method of detection. Right. Yeah. And then we can kind of utilize the same <laughs> scale of things as the hackers. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, this was just an incredible uh, talk. Uh, and, uh, you know, I could sit and talk to you for hours because I want to pick your brain about every new vulnerability and, uh, and how to protect, protect ourselves. But if people want to find out more about your work or uh, what you do, uh, where can they find you? Well, the best place, I mean, if you want to talk to me personally, add me on LinkedIn. Um, otherwise, I own OptimalSecure.net, which is uh, my pen testing company. So... If I can help you in any way and you require some services, I'd be happy to help if I can. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. I hope we can do this again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Bye.